0: Hello everyone and welcome to How to Chess, a weekly chess improvement focused quick hitting podcast. We spend about 10 to 15 minutes talking about a specific topic and this week we have a fantastic guest joining us. He is the founder and executive director of the Charlotte Chess Center and Scholastic Academy. He's an author and chessable author of Everyone's First Chess Workbook, a book I definitely recommend if you are a newer chess player or an instructor working with newer players. It's just a fantastic resource. He's also an insanely accomplished adult improver. He took his USCF rating from 2100 to a peak of 2390 USCF in his 20s. Uh, He told that story on my long form podcast perpetual chess episode 241. It's we do a special feature called adult improvers where we interview adults who've gained a bunch of rating points. And Peter's story was very compelling. He told some harsh truths. And as a result, it's been one of the most popular perpetual chess episodes uh, in recent memory um and today we wanted to cover something new peter went deep on perpetual chess and we didn't want to just rehash the same stuff so peter has given a lot of thought to what we're going to talk about which is going to be how to combat younger players in tournament play shout out to michael f pawn agner agner who suggested it but before we dive into the topic let's welcome peter to the show how are you peter
1: Great, Ben. Thanks for having me on. I feel like we're, we're best friends now. We've done two (laughs) perpetual chess podcasts and then the how to chess podcast. So, but as you mentioned, uh, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to make sure that we didn't overlap too much from our previous interviews on perpetual chess. So I think this is a really good uh, topic of discussion is sort of as an adult player, um, how you may change your style to, uh, to combat the younger eager, uh, you know, and, and up and coming players. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. And yeah, shout out to Fpon for for uh, sending out the question.
0: Yeah, great suggestion. And as I mentioned to you um, when we were brainstorming, Peter, this is sort of like, this is one of the most important questions that faces adult tournament players. I mean, we can't, you know, let's just call a spade a spade. If you're going to go to, to uh, even adult tournaments, uh, especially as you continue to get stronger, um, well, at the beginning, you're going to face almost, you might face a lot of kids and then as you, as you um, climb up the rating ladder, you might not face them every round, but when you do, there's a decent chance they're, they're underrated and they have certain tendencies as we will discuss. So without further ado, Peter, I'm gonna start the clock and I am going to ask you the first question, which sure. is Peter, and what are the tendencies that you've observed? And of course, nothing's gonna be 100%, but what are the tendencies you've observed of uh, scholastic chess players?
1: I would say that the modern, you know, the new, the modern scholastic player is there's a heavy emphasis on calculation and calculation training and tactics. So, uh, if they are underrated, um, the reason for that is primarily their board vision and calculation ability. So that's one of the things that young players do really, really well because their coaches stress that element of the game very much. Very few young players are reading books and studying the classics. Um, most of them are learning by playing and, and, uh, really improving by, uh, by doing tactical, uh, studies and positions. And, and that's because that's a, a huge stress from their coaches.
0: Makes sense. Now, one thing I've observed, Peter, I don't know if you would hold this to be like a general observation. I feel like they tend to play a little faster. Do you, do you think that's true as well? Uh, kids, yeah, I would say kids
1: can be a little bit antsy. It depends on their level, obviously. If you're playing a very strong junior player, like the juniors that I would play in over the board uh, tournaments, uh, they've they've adapted a little bit to um, you know to to slowing down. But I think one of the reasons for that, uh, Ben, is that uh, juniors tend to be more confident than adults. They tend to be optimistic about their abilities, and they probably do calculate faster than adults. So there's, you know, moving quickly, it could just be that they're impatient, but it could also be that they just don't need as much time to come up with their moves because they're more confident and they can calculate a bit faster.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Another thing that I thought about having recently played a tournament, and of course, that means i played a couple of juniors. Um, you know, when I interviewed, uh, Boris Gelfand, he mentioned, uh, and this was on perpetual chess, he mentioned like every move you play should feel important. You don't want to reach a point where you're playing a chess tournament and you're just sort of lackadaisical, but that can also be kind of a, um, a detriment if you're kind of micromanaging every move, trying to be too perfect. And I think adults, especially if they don't get to play that often, might have that tendency, whereas these kids are often playing two tournaments a month, sometimes even more than that. So I think it's easier to just let it fly which again, it's um, a mixed blessing at times. It might lead to one or two more careless mistakes, but it also leads to an advantage on the clock and it can be a little intimidating if they're moving quickly. Um, So anyway, from these observed tendencies, Peter, um, from the tactical sharpness that you mentioned is very common, uh, how can we combat this when we play scholastic players? Yeah, that's
1: a good question. And I I think uh, one of the ways that you can do that uh, is by... Uh, good opening choices. Um, So the opening of course um, I would say is these days uh, at at a higher levels is actually really important. But even at lower levels uh, you know memorizing the theory per se may not be that important but choosing the right kinds of openings is important. So the type of positions that you may get from the opening. So if I were to recommend openings for adult players Uh, particularly lazy ones like me who don't really (laughs) want to do um, as much research on the opening and try to memorize everything. I would go for the slower openings with white that lead to a a bit more closed positions. So those openings might be things like the Kali system or the London system or the Tory attack or the Ready opening or the King's Indian attack. And I know a lot of people will say, oh, well, aren't those systems openings? Aren't those going to make you suck or whatever? But <laughs> no, actually what they do for the adult improver is they limit the amount of time that you need to spend on the opening phase where you know the, little, the time that you have, you can spend on improving your middle game and end game play where you're more likely to have an advantage. And I'll, and I'll try to explain. If you, if you choose a closed, uh, relatively closed game, Uh, to start with, then ideas tend to be more uh, planning oriented and less tactical. It's kind of like, how do I want to improve my pieces or where's my next pawn break? And your opponent's moves tend to be a bit more predictable. Um, Kind of like, you know, you're not, it's not a scattered open position where you have to calculate three or four, you know, three or four moves deeply in a different, a few different variations. In the closed games, Uh, A lot of times, even if you miss a move that your opponent uh, plays, it's not detrimental to your position. Whereas if you're playing a scattered open game, like let's say an open Sicilian with castles on opposite wings, that could just be a pawn race, which is a calculation race. It's like, I hit you with this tactic and the game is over. So I would say for the adult player, uh, we tend to be a little bit weaker on our tactical abilities, but stronger on our patience and planning. So if we can get positions where it's where we have uh, slow, patient play and it's more about coming up with proper plans, we at least have a, better, a comparatively better chance. Now, again, chess is about being a well-rounded player, so you can't just have no tactical ability, but you at least mitigate the difference by choosing slower games.
0: Okay, good advice. Now, Peter, I think a lot of... Um... Uh, players I think especially rated say below 1600 USCF FIDE which adjusts to whatever your preferred way of playing it might be a couple hundred points higher on Lee Chess Rapid for example but I think there's a a general skew towards being an E4 player when you're new to chess um, and newer to chess so I think some majority of adults might be like well that's great Peter but I've been playing E4 my whole life you know and now I'm playing this kid and I need to play something else so what, what would you recommend? Should they play like, um, say avoid the open Sicilian or should they really, uh, as you say, develop a system opening or whatever you want to call it, a more closed opening and just be ready to try it out once in a while.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, that's a struggle that I've had too, as I'm, as I'm adapting as someone who doesn't have as much time as I used to. I also have been an E4 player for the the vast majority of my life. And when, uh, you know, when I, Graduated college and and uh, opened the chess center. The time that I could spend studying openings and in in that phase of the game became much less. So I just had to adapt to that. I I had a struggle with trying to make e four a little bit less open, if you will, because because e four does tend to be a bit more forcing, and things happen a lot faster when you play e four than if you play the queen's pawn games. and you, there are ways to do that. So, for example, in, in the Sicilian, you could play the Moscow variation or the Rossolimo variation. Those are the bishop b5 Sicilians. Uh, you could play King's Indian attack setups against the French or the Carol Khan, right? So you can get more closed games and still play 1e4. Um, but those positions are still kind of a different character than what you would normally expect out of e4. Um, something that I tell all of my students, regardless of age, not to do is there's this tendency, especially recently to watch a short video on YouTube or wherever, and it's kind of like a trappy opening, right? So, um, like let's say Rosen's, uh, trap in the, in the Petrov, I forget cock what, no, what, what's Cochran. that trap? No,
0: um, no, um, Stafford. Cock- Stafford. Stafford, Stafford right.
1: So it, it can be really fun and there are a lot of tricks and traps. But by playing in that manner, you're really setting yourself up for just a trappy, tricky game where it's all about tactics and tricks. And while it can be fun to win a game solely by memorizing a, a trap from a video, it doesn't help you. So I, you know, as, as enticing as playing E4 for tricks and traps, like, oh, I, you know, let's say I want to play the Danish gambit, or I want to play the Evans gambit, or I want to play uh, the Scotch game, or, or whatever, um, I would I would stray away from that and go for positions that are more uh, planning related. You can still do that with e four. You know, you could play, let's say, the Roy Lopez or the Slow Italian. You could play the King's Indian Attack, as mentioned, versus the French Defense. You could play that against the Caro as well. Uh, you could play Bishop B five Sicilians. I mean, there there's ways to keep the game more positional and i think that to the extent that we can to the extent that we can combat these young players that have really good calculation ability and can do it quickly i think it makes sense for us to choose those types of games now that may not be everyone's cup of tea you may say that's a more boring way to play but i think that's the only area where we may have an advantage you know the ability to come up with constructive plans and not get overly excited and impulsive a student a child who has maybe read less about the uh positional fundamentals of the game and and it's more about moves to them just kind of sequences of moves i think you know we're better off playing a slower game against them and practically speaking uh if they, if it's true, if my, if my, let's say hypothesis is true, that they calculate faster and better than us, and are more confident, so they check their lines less, they spend less time on the clock. Practically speaking, it also helps us, uh, you know, with our clock management as well. If we're not slowly calculating a bunch of forced lines, and before we know it, we're also twenty minutes down on the clock because that, that's not exactly related to the chess game itself. But in competition, clock time is very important. So we, we try to, you know, we try to play all these factors into our favor so that we we can have a, compa- you know, comparative advantage, you know, against them.
0: Okay, great advice there, Peter. And uh, we're going to keep you a little more than 10 minutes because this is this is too good. And I know we got one more gem to drop, which is... Uh, the, the Giannato's rule. Are you ready right. to reveal the Giannato's rule, Peter? The
1: Giannato's rule has been revealed on my stream. There's actually, a, um, there's actually a YouTube video of my, my editor clipped it because he thought it was so funny. So I went on and on and on about it. <laughs> so, so, um, you know, this is, this is not, this is just general advice. I would say to everyone, uh, not just, uh, the adult, the adult, uh, players, but there are certain openings where, uh. On, you, you move your king in, in not a castling manner. You just kind of move your king on purpose uh, in the opening phase of the game. And it's, it's theoretical. It's not by accident. You kind of plan to do it. Like, let's say you study a course and it's like, okay, then you play king. You move your king in the opening. Um, openings where that happens uh, often is the French defense. Uh, actually, the more closed games because you can kind of get away with it. Um, like King F8 in the French defense or Caro Khan. Uh, there are uh, King F1 ideas uh, in for White as well. Um, in that in that sort of tirade that I made on my stream, I was talking about how one of the first books I got was a book by Edmar Mendes, and it was given to me by you know one of the um, club members. And there was a line in the Terash French where Black plays Bishop to B4 check, and then he gives King F1, you know, ducking the Bishop trade. You know, you could just block the check, but he just plays King F1 and he says double x clam, right? Great move. So I played it in my own game. It eventually happened. I was about 1900 and I played King F1 and I was playing like a 1600. And all the 1600 did was just normal stuff. He castled and played F6. And then I was like, "What? what is this? Why did I trust <laughs> this garbage? So it's like, even if by computer standards, when you check your, your opening and it verifies... A king move is a perfectly acceptable move, right? King F1, king F8 in the opening on purpose. I would stray away from those openings because practically speaking, uh, it is very hard to untangle your position in those openings. So I would just say, play normal chess. Play chess where it's kind of about structures, it's kind of about planning. And then again, kind of tying into choosing the right openings, it will limit the amount of time you have to spend trying trying to play the contortionist, getting out of some random weird position where your rook is blocked in or something, right? So try to play normal positions where you can where it's easier to come up with the moves. You'll save time on the clock. You'll come up with better moves. You'll come up with better ideas. And you'll play better. You know, so, so now but that's advice to everyone, but I would just say, you know, be cautious of doing that. Just if uh just because a book says it or a course says it, um yeah, it's, it's practically speaking, when you're in a position like that, it's much different than when you're just studying out of, out of a book or on a screen.
0: And we are back with our three improvement takeaways. They pretty much spoke for themselves, but I will uh, try to summarize them nonetheless, give you guys a little space repetition to remember the lessons that Peter has imparted. Number one is the observed tendency that kids are often tactically sharp and confident. So those are two things to keep in mind. The confidence, of course, often is going to manifest in the kids playing faster um, but don't let that mess with your game plan. And as Peter said, um, you know, you, you kind of want to try to battle on your turf. Um, so try, not, try to avoid these tactical slugfests if you can, which brings us to point number two, which is you might want to consider steering your repertoire towards calmer waters when you're facing a kid. Um, it doesn't mean you have to, like, whole cloth adopt a new repertoire, although maybe you would. But as Peter said, there are even tweaks you can make if you're an E4 player. Um, playing something like the King's Indian attack against the French, or the closed Sicilian, or the Rosalima, or the Moscow, or whatever it may be. Or you could just have the ready, or, and of course, as black, there's openings you can play as well. Um, You might want to avoid the black side of the open Sicilian as well, for example. Um, So there's little changes you can make to try to take advantage of the, the experience advantage you have, and maybe the planning advantage you have to sort of counteract whatever tactical calculation disadvantage you have. And number three, um, until Peter told me, I have to admit, I hadn't heard the Giannatos rule. I love it. I'm definitely going to be referring to it in the future. So any opening book or course that tells you to move your king rather than castling, of course, we're not talking about castling. We're talking about king F8, king F1. Um, You might want to find a different line there. Um, Chess, it's best when you're playing natural, intuitive openings. And I think this is especially true uh, against kids. Um, you don't want to be in these muddy waters, especially because when they do play faster, uh, they're going to end up with a time advantage. So it's nice to just have these natural sort of clear cut positions whenever possible. So remember the Giannatos rule. Um, so those are your takeaways now for just a tad of bonus coverage. Let's bring Peter back in. Peter, you got any stories for us?
1: Yeah, sure. So there, there are a few, but, um, I'll, I'll choose the most memorable, um, and, uh, and actually, uh, John Hartman, recently, so shout out to John Hartman and Chess Life magazine, but uh, he reached out to me to cover the My Best Move, um, uh, let's say, article in in the feature in the December Chess Life. So this game, if you're interested in actually seeing what I'm talking about, you can catch it in the December Chess Life. But um, So it was the game which uh, would determine whether I would make it to 2300 feet A or not. So it was, it was a game... Um, against, uh, at that time, international master Andrew Hong uh, at the um, Southwest, uh, Southwest Open in Texas. I was, playing, I was playing this tournament. And Grant, my assistant here at the Charlotte Chess Center and, and our norms guru, he called me and he said, if you win this game, you'll be over 2,300 feet. And I, I, didn't, I wasn't calculating my rating round by round. So it was, it was kind of good for me to know that. So the nice thing was, is I had the night to prepare and I'm looking at it and he's a young, very strong player who, who by the way, made GM at our last norm event. Uh, so he, you know, just gives you kind of perspective. This is a serious junior player. And um, so I'm looking at the games. And at that time I was playing a lot of uh, system openings with D4 and I'm looking at his games and I noticed that against E4, he plays the Sicilian and he plays the Orph, like every other strong junior player. And I said, well, um, I may play E4 because I have done that my whole life, but there is no way I'm going to play the open Sicilian because he's going to know more than I do. And if we get into a tactical situation, uh, one, he's an international master, right? So higher rated than I am, higher, higher strength than I am. So don't want to combat him in the area of calculation. I can already assume he's probably better, better than me in that area. So I said, let me combat him in the area of planning. So I, uh, I chose the Moscow variation of the Sicilian. That is the Bishop B5 check against the D6 Sicilians. And we got a, I chose a line on purpose, a very closed line of play. And again, you can, you'll be able to see it in the, in the next, in the December chess life, but, um, and we got a very closed position, very locked position. Uh, he had expanded on the queen side of the board and I had expanded on the king side of the board. And it was all about pawn breaks and maneuvering. And uh, finally, I um, I was able to sneakily play a, uh, a tactical breakthrough. The tactic required about two or three moves of thought, but it was always looming in the position, but I finally made it work. It was uh, related to a pawn break to open up the king side without allowing a blockade. And uh, long story short, I out uh positionaled him. I outplanned him. I won the game. And that's how I became uh, an FM. And uh, it was obviously a very memorable moment for me. Um, I probably celebrated too much that night. I lost my next two games uh, <laughs> after that. But uh, but it was very memorable for me. And I, and, and I recognized that I chose the right way to play against this strong,
0: very strong young junior player. Awesome story. And luckily, it sounds like Grant Owens' calculations were right about the- They were right. <laughs> <laughs> it was by the decimal,
1: by, by a decimal, 23 point, you know, 2300.6 or something, but hey, I'll take it, you know.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And luckily, I mean, obviously, uh, your opponent was a young monster. Luckily, a lot of us, even though we're playing up and coming rising young kids, hopefully we're not playing always kids who are, always, who are already IMs. Cause that's a, right. that's, that's an <laughs> right. impressive result on your part. Um, so nicely done, Peter, great stuff. Um, and obviously impresario of the Charlotte chess center doing great work down there. Um, what else should people check for in terms of keeping up with what you're doing? Uh, obviously your chess book course, but anything else, Peter?
1: Yeah. So we're also um, the uh, last At the end of last year we created the north american corporate chess league and and that's in our in our third season right now and that brings uh companies together from all over north america that's usa mexico and canada um to participate in an online league and um it's a lot of fun and it's uh it's conducted on lee chess on the lee chess platform uh and it's a lot of fun and i would encourage people uh if they like to get their companies involved to check out the uh, North American Corporate Chess League. And i really, you know, I'd really appreciate that. I think it's a really fun thing. And we're in our third season and everyone's having a good time.
0: Awesome. We'll drop all the links for the, the Corporate Chess League as well as uh, Peter's Chess, course, and book. And thanks again, Peter. Always learn something. It's always fun.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Ben, for having me. And uh, hopefully people don't get tired of, uh, of our interviews together.
0: Never. All right. Take care.